0: Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, Good morning, Mercy Church. Yeah, there you go. This is part of this is kind of a participatory thing, preaching and uh, receiving God's word. Uh, My name is Spence. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy. If you're new with us, and uh, we're really glad that you're here. There's a card that you saw on your seat when you came in. It's a little blue one says, I'm ready to be baptized." I'm going to explain that a little bit later, okay? So there's a purpose behind it. Not ready to get there yet. We'll get there a little bit later in the sermon, all right? Uh, I want to tell you a few years ago, uh, I had a good friend of mine that went on a short-term mission trip, much like the one that Sparrow uh, just mentioned that he went on. So there's a good friend, trusted friend, um, guy that I was really close with, and he comes back from this short-term trip, and he says that he and his team of people that went experienced a miracle while they were there. He said, listen, here's what happened. We went, and there was this woman who was, who was blind, uh, and we went, and she asked us to pray over her. So the, the group of about five of us prayed over her, and we said amen, and then she said, I can see. And he came back really excited about that. And my first reaction to this trusted friend who didn't have a habit of lying to me, my first reaction to what he said was doubt. I just didn't believe him. In fact, in the span of about three seconds, I managed to concoct an explanation, a rational explanation for how he misunderstood what had happened. You know, I told myself, well, he didn't really understand that this woman, the the blindness was probably a symptom of some underlying sickness that she had, and she was actually on antibiotics for that thing. And then the antibiotics had been working, and then when he prayed over her, the adrenaline from the hope of that prayer kicked in, and it sort of supercharged the antibiotics, and then boom, she was able to see, and that's really great and everything, but that's what really happened. Now, I didn't say any of this, of course, right? What did I do? I I nodded, kept good eye contact, good body posture. I said, wow, and all the appropriate spots that you're supposed to say, right? And then a couple years ago, I went on a short-term mission trip with some people at Mercy Church to Cuba, a very similar one to the one Sparrow went on. In the span of three days, this team of six saw 750 people profess faith in Christ And most of those, is one-on-one conversations. It was like, everybody we talked to, yes, I want to believe this. Are you sure? Yes, I want to believe this. It's going to change your life. Yes, I want to believe this. Every single person we're talking to, yes, yes, yes. We're like, in morning till night for three days. And we came back here hyped about it. And I told y'all about it. And y'all nodded. (laughs) Kept good eye contact. And you said, wow. At all the right times. Today... We're looking at the first miracle that is done by the early church, and it is a healing miracle. If you're newer with us, we're going to be over in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be walking through, our church is going through a series of sermons in the book of Acts. And what we're seeing is we're seeing the church as a movement of people, not just as a, a building that you come to, but as a Movement of people who are sent out by God with God's great message of redemption and forgiveness and accompanying that message is the power of God that goes with these people. And listen, miracles are a really big part of the book of Acts. Most um, scholars will put it around 40 miracles we're gonna see over these 28 chapters. The idea that miracles do happen, really do happen. Not lucky breaks, not incredible odds coincidences, but a divine agent that we claim as God, who has both the power and the purpose, the intentionality, to go into a, seri- a set of circumstances and change them, even if it means altering the laws of nature. That idea is, to many, Westerners just uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to many because as children of the scientific method, we have been told that there is a physical explanation for all things. We just got to look long and hard enough. And on top of that, over the course of history, we've seen the term miracle misapplied to just gaps in scientific knowledge, right? Something happens. We don't know how to explain how it happens. Miracle. But then, of course, we study We discover how it happened. And so then to claim divine intervention, it gets discredited as just intellectual laziness. Maybe you're coming in today with that mindset. Maybe you're a little bit skeptical of the God card because you've seen it misapplied so many times. I want to tell you, I'm so glad you're here if that's you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're willing to step into a church and consider the Christian message even after you've been frustrated by things like that. And I hope you'll encounter something a little bit different today. I'll go ahead and say you're not alone. Listen, miracles are something that some Christians are even skeptical of as well. Though we Listen, though we claim to believe in an all-powerful God, we claim to believe this all-powerful God pierces our hearts individually, illuminates our need for forgiveness, and we claim to believe that his work on the cross that he got out of the grave, and that work permanently alters our eternity. Though we claim to believe all of that, the idea that he empowers signs and wonders today, something many of us still doubt. I want to go on record, y'all, saying this is something the Lord is still working in me. Uh, It is in many ways still wet cement that is being formed as we go through the book of Acts together. But what I am showing and sharing with you today, I'm very confident in. So I'm excited. I'm excited for us to spend this morning in chapter 3 together because we're going to see this first miracle. And then our good old friend, the Apostle Peter, is going to explain the miracle which is just the kindness of God on us at the very first miracle that shows up in the book of Acts. There's an explanation for it right after that. One commentator said, if you can understand what's happening right here in this miracle, you'll be able to understand all the rest of them in the book of Acts. So here's the main idea of our sermon. I like to give this to you right out front. Those of you that are, you know, kind of more your note takers, you need to know where we're going, roadmap. I got a great one for you today, okay? Here's the main idea of what we're going to come back to over and over again, and that's that miracles... And that's what we're talking about today, because we see in this chapter, miracles display the power of Jesus for a purpose. It's for the purpose of verifying the gospel of Jesus. Miracles display the power of God, the power of Jesus, and they do so for a purpose. And that's to verify the gospel of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We've got five parts to this sermon. Part one is going to be the introduction, and we already did that. We're done. Good job, guys. Part one, knocked it out. The second part is to show you the miracle itself. We're going to knock that one out pretty quick, all right? The third is going to be common questions that we have about, that I receive a lot about miracles today. We're just going to pause after we see that miracle and address a couple of common ones that a lot of Christians have and and non-Christians as well. Then we're going to look at how Peter tells us to respond to the miracle. And we're going to finish with something that is so wonderful that, again, it's in Peter's uh, response to this, to be the blessings of a right response. There is so much good, so much good for you. So we're going to go into part two of our sermon. We're going to look at the miracle that we see in Acts 3. Nothing really to write down here. Just I want you to kind of put yourself into the scene as I walk us through it, okay? Here we go. Are, are you guys ready? It's not a.m. to make sure you're ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. Good. Here we go. Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth, it means he was unable to walk. And listen, what we're gonna see in chapter four is that this guy um, is over 40 years old. All right, so he has been without the ability to walk for his whole life. He's over 40 and he was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Now here's the thing, most likely, This is not the first time that Peter and John have seen this guy. They go up daily to the temple to pray. They take the same route. This guy's been sat right there by the temple gate the same day every time. But this is now after that event called Pentecost that we saw a couple weeks ago. Catch you up if you missed that. The Holy Spirit, the main character in the book of Acts has now arrived on the scene and he resides in every believer specifically. Luke is showing us, Luke is our author of this. He's showing us how the spirit moves through the apostles to verify the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we're about to see is how God can move in a very big way inside of a very routine situation. Uh, Maybe that's something that you need to wake up to and lean into. That your routine job, your routine friendships, your routine marriage, your routine workout, your routine errands, your routine family dinner. God may just make that routine the arena for a great move of God in your life. He can do that. Anyway, verse 4. Peter and along with John, they look straight at him. They do one of these bad boys right here like, look at me, look at us, right? So he turned to them. Expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, maybe you've heard this before. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. That is bold. Like That's real bold. Peter didn't have what the guy thought that he needed. Peter wasn't there to ha- help this guy just have a good day going through his normal routine. He has what the guy really needs. He has the power of God. And where does that power reside? In the name of Jesus Christ. This is huge. Because in the, when Jesus would do this, Jesus would just look at someone and say, get up and walk. That's not what Peter's doing. He's making a point, And Luke's making a point and telling us in this first miracle, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, started to walk, entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This is not gradual, all right? This is clearly an immediate, complete healing of this man's body to the point where he leaps, stands up, and just keeps going, right? He leaps. And I love the one other thing he does. He praises God. This scene is beautiful because the man directs praise where praise is meant to be directed. That's the point. Verse nine, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. This was the guy that used to sit outside. They spent their days, you know how this goes. They spent their days avoiding him trying not to make eye contact with him, making sure to keep a safe distance from him. And now all of a sudden he's inside the temple. Can you imagine the mixture of emotions, the awe, the the bewilderment, and maybe some embarrassment too? I don't know what I do know. I know it's not the point of this sermon, but it is the reality of Mercy Church right now. I do know that our character church will be tested when people who used to sit outside and beg for money start sitting inside this worship gathering with us. By God's grace, he has allowed us to be near a bus stop here at this campus. If you rode the bus here today, praise God for you, first of all, because we parking's crazy out here. So it's really great for more people need to do it. But listen, if you have no home and no job and you're in here this morning, we are glad that you are here. And church, listen, I wonder, I wonder if we as a church are going to embrace such image bearers with the compassionate love of Christ, or if we will be the religiously masked enemies of God that Jesus Christ came to put on notice. That's another sermon to come in this series. He keeps going, verse 10. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. And while he was holding on to Peter and John, I love this, right? He's got the ability to jump and run and leap, but he's still holding on to these guys because this is kind of new. He's got new legs. All the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. Okay, Peter's about to preach his guts out right after this. He's going to seize the moment. It's going to get, it only gets better. This chapter is awesome. The Bible's awesome. But before he does, I want to take a couple of minutes and I want to answer some questions. We're going to move to part three of our sermon and answer a couple of common questions that I get um, just about how do miracles work today? This is in the Bible. How do they work today? And here's the first one, kind of obvious. Does God still heal today? Yes. You're not going to find anything Definitive in the Bible that suggests that healings have stopped, but you're going to find a lot to suggest that they're still going. You'll find the New Testament talking about healing as a spiritual gift given to different people in the church at different times. You're going to see James tell the elders to pray over the sick, and he's going to connect those prayers to their healing. Yes, he still heals today, and so we pray for it and believe that as the Spirit of God moves, he will heal. This is the next question. Why? Why does God heal? Like I said, the main idea of miracles and the miracle of healing included are to display the power of Jesus for the purpose of verifying the gospel of Jesus. But Let me maybe tease that out a little bit more for how that gets verified. First, listen, sometimes God heals just as an act of love and mercy to the one who is suffering. He is a father who loves his children and sometimes he heals simply as an act of love and mercy. He also heals as a sign of the coming kingdom of God. Listen, God is not random in his displays of power. What we'll see through the book of Acts is that they are not random, right? Like we don't just pray, God make the Hornets good at basketball and he's just gonna do that just because, right? That's not how he works. All of his miracles we're gonna see throughout The New Testament, especially throughout the book of Acts, they have a purpose. This one, in our healing miracles, here's what's happening. God is reversing the curse of sin that has fallen onto the world and come into the world, right? So the curse of sin, Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to say in the book of Romans, the creation is now groaning. Things don't work like they're supposed to work. So you have people that are in conflict with each other when we should never be in conflict with each other. You have sickness and disease, and we all say, it shouldn't be this way, and we're right. Things aren't working the way they are supposed to work. And what Christ is doing and then what the church is doing throughout the book of Acts is reversing the effects of sin through the power of God. And it's a signpost pointing to the day, Revelation tells us, when there will be what? No more sickness, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more pain. And between that, that day and this one, the church is here to say in the name of Jesus Christ, watch him reverse the curse in this moment. Yeah. That's what we're called to do. It's a sign of the coming kingdom. It's also a witness. These, these healings, these miracles are witnesses to non-Christians, both as, as an invitation and as a warning to say the gospel. This is what's happening here. What we're about to see Peter say, the gospel's true. Christ is who he says he is. And the last one is just to motivate Christians to worship. It's to lift our eyes, maybe off the monotony and the mundane that we have gotten used to. Say, whoa, my God is more powerful than I have been giving him credit for. I have forgotten the greatness of my God. And it's to motivate Christians back to look up in awe. Listen, here's a, let me say This is why, by the way, after every service, we have elders and prayer team members down front so that you can come down here and we can believe God on your behalf. That's what intercessory prayer is, right? Stepping in on behalf of another, believing God on behalf of one another and asking him to unleash his power in that moment. Take advantage of that. Now, listen, that that leads me right to that next question. I think the last one we'll talk about today. Will everyone who prays in faith receive healing that they ask for? Well, yes and no. Eventually, yes. Again, the day is coming when God will restore all things. The dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. There will be no more disease, mourning, or crying. But in the short term, no. God sometimes has bigger purposes on this earth than giving us that physical healing. Sometimes he allows us to know him better through the pain in this life. And sometimes he uses our suffering To bring others to Christ. Sometimes God glorifies himself when sick people get well. And sometimes God glorifies himself when sick people die well. And I have seen him do both. That doesn't mean we don't pray boldly and expectantly. That is what he calls us to. For those of you who have given up on God, Listen, maybe it's like a a chronic sickness. You've been praying for it for years and it just didn't happen. You're like, he's not answering my prayer. Or maybe you've been left behind after somebody you loved has died. Listen, I believe Peter's message we're about to hear. Mm. It's for you because there's some really powerful promises in here. And if we, the apostle Paul is gonna tell us, if we could just seek to grab hold of the greatness of God's gift in Christ, it will far outweigh the worst pain we could experience here on earth. John Wesley said it this way. He said, listen, how much you believe the gospel is measured by your ability to be joyful in all things. It's not just happy. It's not like the pain just isn't there. It's joy in the midst of it. I know that's not all your questions and I'm happy to dialogue more because this is important stuff, But if we want to know what to think about this miracle, we just got to go to the next verses. Peter's going to tell us the healing happens. Peter seizes the moment. Um, One of our members said, this is what she loves about Peter. It's the second time he's done that, that the moment happens, right? And Peter makes the most of the opportunities that God gives him whenever and wherever, right? He makes the most of the moment. Peter doesn't just go be healed. Boom, walk off. It's not what he does. No, he says, let me explain what you really need to know because this is just a sign about what you really need to know. That brings us to part four, how we respond. Our, our author, Luke, has been setting us up for this. Here's what happens. The healing prepares the heart with the right amount of awe and wonder and fear that it needs in order to properly receive the gospel. So I'm gonna read you the first half of what Peter says and then I'm gonna stop. Now, you can read ahead if you want to, but I'm going to stop, and I'm going to explain to you what he's doing right there, and then we'll get to, to part five, all right? Verse 12, here he goes. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us? As though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, and then watch where he goes, has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, so that the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back. Two directions that Peter says, look. This this language of look is all over chapter three. you notice that? That Whether it was the guy who looked, the, the lame man looking and seeing them, Peter saying, look at us. He's showing them now, the Israelites, what they should be seeing out of this moment. And he calls them to look two directions. The first is upward. He says, look upward. The miracle God, the miracle calls us to look upward to God's confirmation of Jesus. The very first thing Peter does, he says, make sure you understand who is the one responsible for this. Even a little sarcastically, right? Why are you looking at us? Right? Why are you looking at us like we did this? Remember, they're in the temple. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to people that are, get this, People are familiar with the knowledge of God, but seem to have forgotten about the power of God. Seem to have stopped believing in the power of God, even though they have a lot of knowledge about God. Be warned, church. This could very well be us full of the knowledge of a God that we're not really sure actually still moves today. So he says to them, you killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We're witnesses of this. As the faith that comes through. Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Here's what he's saying. This miracle is like God's divine signature saying Jesus really was who he said he was. That's the purpose of the miracle to point you to a really big, powerful God and then what this God has said about Jesus. So I have a very a question so simple that I worry that it'll just wash over your head. Do you really believe that God is real? Because if you believe he's real, then you're by default acknowledging at least the possibility of miracles. Listen, think about it. A much bigger miracle than this is Genesis 1:1. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe in that God? Because certainly the God who created the laws of the universe can suspend those laws. That's what I want you to see first. That you are either a committed, avowed atheist, or you believe at least the possibility of miracles. Those are the only two options. And the point of the miracle God says, and what I'm going to say over and over, what I've been saying, I'm going to continue to say over and over, is to direct your attention to Jesus. Jesus, a person. The person is to be the object of our faith. We're not supposed to base our faith on miracles. We're supposed to base our faith on a person. And the miracles are signs pointing you to him. That's what Peter's Getting at when you rest your faith in his words, in his character, and what he has done for you, that is a solid resting ground for your faith. That's a really big deal. He's gonna go on to say in verses 23, 26, we're not gonna get all the way to those today, but he says, Everyone who doesn't listen to that prophet, that prophet is Jesus, the prophet Moses foretold about that who doesn't listen will be completely cut off from the people. In verse 26, God raised up his servant. This is Isaiah's servant. Peter's saying, now this is who it is. This is Jesus. And he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So let me ask you what Peter is saying in the form of a question. Have you listened to Jesus? Have you listened to him? Are you listening now? God says he is Lord. He's the only way to salvation and every miraculous sign is meant to point you to the miraculous one, and that is Christ. But not only do we look upward, when we look upward at the exact same time, it causes us to look inward, to look inward. The miracle calls us to look inward and to repent of our own rejection of God. This is why Peter says, listen, it's 17 through 19, those verses there, I know you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. In this way, God was actually fulfilling what he had predicted, that his Messiah would suffer, so repent and turn back. The first response, of course, look up. You killed the source of life. You were wrong. He said, I know you acted in ignorance. You didn't know you were killing the God of life, but even what you meant for evil right there, God was using to bring about salvation. And this second response is the one I think we often overlook, but it is always emphasized in Scripture. This miracle made everyone simultaneously aware of the holiness of God, the realness of God, and it made them aware of their own sinfulness. And Peter says, you did this. You denied him. You handed him over. In fact, you even pressed for his death when he was about to be released. Your bloodthirsty rebellion ensured that those nails went into his hands and into his feet and that he hung there until dead. But then God raised him. Because as we saw two weeks ago, death cannot hold the author of life, the source of life. And Peter says, I know you didn't know, but now you do. That's what's happening here. I know you didn't know. I know you were ignorant, but you can't claim that anymore. Now you know, and now you must repent. And look at how he talks about repenting. He says, repent and turn back, right? Repent, stop going one direction, and then turn back to God. Go a different direction. Turn away from sin, turn towards God. This is the role of the Holy Spirit, this is what our main character, the Holy Spirit, is going to keep doing in Acts. The Holy Spirit is always leading to the cross or he's leading us away from it, carrying its message of healing to others. So here and now, will you turn? Will you turn? That's the right response. That's the, listen, as I've been praying for our church, I've been praying for our city, just been thinking about where we are right now, this is the response I sense that many of you need to make. It's just belief. You've been playing the church game. You've been going through the church motions, but now you see what is at stake and you're ready to believe. That's what that baptism card is for. Baptism, listen, this is a step of trusting Jesus, of going public with that belief. Because listen to me, Jesus's execution was not a private execution. It was very public and he did it willingly and lovingly for you. And in your baptism, what happens there is you publicly say, I believe that what he did, he did for me. And when you come out of those waters, you are welcomed into a family, a church family who says, that's what we are. A bunch of messed up sinners who had no hope, but we believe that Christ did that for us. Welcome. Welcome. And some of you need to take that step. It's time. It's time. You've been waiting for a while and now is the time and you need to take it. All three services next weekend, we're gonna be holding baptisms. And you can do, we had three people last night at our first Saturday night service, three people last night have said, you know what? It's time. It's time, I believe it's time. And maybe it's time for you. You can fill that out during the rest of the service. That's your step of belief today. You fill that out, the bucket's gonna come by, you drop it, we're gonna follow up with you. Or you can just bring it right down front after the service, we'll pray with you. And listen, here's the beautiful way this Peter's gonna end this. When you respond, when you believe that Christ died for your sins, that he rose up out of the grave, and you claim that, and you say, I believe he did that for me. I'm receiving that forgiveness. Then Peter says, then blessings are going to start to flow over you. And listen to what he says. This is part five of the sermon. It's the, I'm telling you, this thing crescendos into these amazing promises. Repent and turn back in just two short verses so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Close in the blessings of repentance and faith. I love how Peter does this. Peter is like, I'm confident he is like the first Baptist preacher. Here's why. He had three application points in his sermon, okay? And if they were alliterated, it'd be no doubt about it whatsoever, right? But he says, first, let me show you what Christ does to your past. Then let me show you how Christ carries you in your present. Then let me show you what Christ promises for your future. All right there in those two verses. I think it's gonna be good for us to lean into these blessings today. In fact, These are some things, Christians, you just need to thank God for as you hear them. Like I said, this is a participatory gathering right here. You need to be able to celebrate, and this is a place you can celebrate the goodness and blessings of God to you. Verse 19, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That's the first blessing of repentance and faith. God erases your sin and frees you from it. (laughs) Woo! We turn away. We turn away from sin. We turn towards God. He doesn't scold us. That's not how he responds. He welcomes us back. The imagery here is so rich in a, an era where you didn't have paper like we do, or like we used to, like last century, right? Like they we, we didn't have paper. They had parchment. And parchment was really expensive. Right? So what scribes would commonly do is they would use this like acid-free ink, which just means as they wrote, the ink would sit on the top of the parchment. It wouldn't soak into the paper. And then they could just take a wet sponge and they could just wipe out everything that they had written and it wouldn't be there anymore. There'd be no trace of it. Maybe a way to talk about it today would be a whiteboard. Right? You take a whiteboard and you write down all the sins that you have ever committed And God sees every single one of them, including the ones that you wouldn't dare write down on that whiteboard. God has seen them all. And in Christ, when you believe in what Christ has done, he just wipes them away. Just wipes them away. No record. Some of you came in here with sins carrying on your shoulders a burden too heavy. You think there's no way I'll ever be able to really get rid of these. Turn back to your father. and wipe them out. I promise you his grace is bigger than all your sin. Find the miraculous healing of forgiveness. Find the power. That's where the power to break free from your sin exists. It doesn't exist in you trying harder. This power is real. Listen, some of you deliberately and knowingly disobeyed God last night and you came in here and you lifted your hands and began to worship. And what I'm calling you to is not to simply say, I'm sorry, God, I'll try and do better. No, it is turn away, full surrender. God, I'm yours. I know I can't have both you and my sin. I'm done with that. I choose you. And your past sins are washed away. Now I wanna say the effects of your sins will linger in this life. You need to probably repent to people after repenting to God, repent to people that you harmed, as well, and there's going to be a process of healing that will be painful and costly for you, but the power and presence of God will go with you in that. Which leads to the second blessing that he says when you turn away from your sin, you're turning towards God. God is more beautiful, more attractive, more desirable to you than your sin. Verse 20 so that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here's the second blessing of repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit brings seasons of refreshing to your soul. That phrase, refreshing, it's only used here in the New Testament. The meaning is like when a cool breeze comes on a hot muggy day where there was no wind, and you know that, that thing you say, you just go, ah. Oh. That's kind of the, the meaning here. It's reprieve from heat. It's refreshing. It's also restorative. In fact, translators in every single language are kind of caught trying to figure out which um, way we're gonna translate this because there's two meanings embedded. There is relief, but then there's also spiritual strengthening that happens. And depending on what language you end up reading the book of Acts you'll get one or the other. I believe this is what many in our church need right now. Are you tired? I hear so many people say they're tired like not just physically tired, because you're tired of saying you're busy, hoping that people will believe that because you're busy, that means that you're important and you have value and you're tired of that. Your soul is tired, you're weary. Do your days burden you? Does the hardness and bitterness of this world just kind of beat you down? Do you feel cold towards God? Lean in here and listen to this promise. The presence of the Lord. You hear me? The presence of the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit, guaranteed to be with all who follow Christ. The presence of the Lord can and desires to refresh your soul. This is the, the filling of the Spirit that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. right? It is the Spirit already with you, bringing you fresh love. Fresh joy, fresh patience, fresh peace, fresh kindness, fresh strength. This is what the Spirit does. Instead of having to try today to trudge up enough strength so that you can obey Jesus. No, it's instead be swept up in his strength. Church, I deeply desire that for us. I desire that for my family I desire it for our city right now. When we talk about praying for a gospel awakening, this is what we are talking about, that the people of God would experience a refreshing in their souls, that the dam of spiritual refreshing would bust open and the rivers of God's grace would flood our hearts and would lead the people of Charlotte to repentance. It would be dry souls finding water. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna pray and ask God for that. Because that's what we can do. So starting in October, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, we're going to start doing this as a part of this series. We're going to take a day each month. And starting in October is coming about two weeks. We're going to spend a Wednesday where we're just going to fast all day long. We're going to get in here and we're going to pray. And we're going to say, God, refresh our souls. God, refresh our city. We can't conjure this. We can only ask for it. But I will tell you the one thing that will keep it away is our own sin listen, I know some of you are tired. You feel that the Lord is far from you, and yet it is you who are running hard away from him. Your sin will make you tired. It will tire you because it will promise something it will never deliver on. It'll promise you pleasure. It'll promise you whatever sense of of power and approval, whatever that is, control, whatever it is you're looking for, but then it won't deliver, and that makes your soul tired. Turn back from that, and you will receive the refreshing of the soul that comes through faith in Christ. Others of you, I know, you are faithfully seeking him. You feel like he's silent, and I'm just here as a brother in Christ and as your pastor to promise you he's still there. You pray this week and let's start praying together. God wants to give this refreshing. Here's the way Peter closes it. This last blessing says that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. The last blessing that that we're just sharing this morning, there's so many, but the last one Peter shares with us, the blessing of repentance and faith is that God secures your eternal future. Isn't this what the soul needs for true rest, past forgiveness of sins, a present relief and strengthening of the soul and a future that is secured come what may. Nothing can offer that except Christ. The New Testament was written by poor, persecuted people who fixed their eyes on Jesus, and on that day, the day that would come, and they found soul-strengthening hope in that day that they would see him face-to-face. This is your hope, church, the day. The apostle Paul says your present sufferings aren't worthy to be compared. They're not worthy of it. They're not worthy of the time. They're not worthy of that attention. They're not worthy of that anxiety. They're not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us on that day. So Christians, lay your burdens today down on that hope. Let him carry you. In fact, I wanna close right there. Would you bow your head and let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to respond to what the Lord may be calling you towards. I see really two responses to this, which is common as the gospel is preached, God's word is preached. First for you Christians, I hope you'll take just a moment and you'll personalize what you just heard from God's word and thank him. Receive again those blessings of repentance and faith. Thank you, God, that my sins are wiped out. Maybe you need to confess sin to him and then thank him. God, I've been holding on to this. I recognize it was sin against you. I turn from it. Thank you that my sins are wiped out. Pray to him, God, would you bring refreshing to my soul? I know you want to do that, so I'm asking for it. Holy Spirit, refresh my soul. Awaken it again to your love. Strengthen me for the day that I have in front of me. May I walk in your love and in your power and not my own. God, thank you that my eternity is secure. Christian, would you just thank him and let his spirit comfort you and encourage you? And if you're not a Christian, none of these promises are for you. They are only yours in Christ. Say it that way. They're only yours in Christ. And so today, you need to do it for the first time. You say, God, I repent. I believe that Christ died for my sin. That's owning that you have rebelled against God. I believe he died for my sin. And so I receive that forgiveness that he offers. I surrender my whole life. You tell him right now in your own words, God, I believe I'm a sinner. I confess my sin. I'm repenting. I'm turning to you. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for saving me. And as you're praying that, now the promises, the promises we just heard are yours. They're yours now. The presence of God is with you. Those sins are wiped out. He's with you to strengthen you. Refresh your soul now. Receive the spirit of God and your future is forever secure now. Rest. Let your soul sink down and rest and abide in the love of Christ for you. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Thank you, Father, for your grace on grace on grace. We assume it far too often. Thank you for letting us pause this morning and celebrate your great grace towards us. May we leave with our souls refreshed because our sins are wiped out. We've been set free from them. We have hope secured. Father, would you refresh and strengthen our souls in those truths through your spirit. We worship you in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.